Welcome back to CX Fans, another episode of the CX Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sando, joined, as always, by the Robin Williams to my Cuba Gooding Jr., Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I am flattered you gave me pole position on actors in this movie. I just thought it fit our uh, our personalities a bit better. You know, I was I was naked for like a third of the movie, and then and I committed suicide. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, you no, you didn't. You uh, it was. It oh, was, sorry, uh, we're talking about the movie. Max von Sydow is sitting right behind me. That's Eric Ronneback. Eric, how you doing? Man, I'm the crown jewel of Norwegian actors, or something. All right, so this uh, this week the Seahawks take on the Denver Broncos. But before we get to our game preview, we have to talk a little bit about what happened this week with roster cuts. Now, I just want to say, listen back to last week's podcast if you are not a regular listener. And listen to us try to figure out the 53-man roster. Then look at the initial cuts the Seahawks made. Who boy, were we on the right track. Daggers. Yeah, we like were really on top of what we thought was going to happen. And then... The Seahawks decided, well, you, you did a good job with the predictions. We made you look good. Now let's make about a thousand trades. By the way, whoever said that we were going to end up with Jordan Simmons on our final roster, you know, GG. Good for you. You, you yeah, win. So. Start your own Seahawks podcast. You're better than me. Play uh, <laughs> Players that ended up on the roster that were not on the roster before cuts. Jordan Simmons, guard. Uh, Darrell Daniels, tight end slash. I think he's also like going to play fullback a lot. Uh, this might number Trey Madden's days on the roster, just as a heads up to Trey Madden fans. Uh, Jermaine Grace, the linebacker, who I've heard is a special teams uh, whiz and also very fast. Uh, Simeon Thomas, who is uh, safety slash corner, like the this is a it's a very sea hockey player. He's <laughs> an athlete. He's an athlete that can play on the back end. Yeah, it, this is a project, I think. And then Sh- Shalom Luani, the WSU safety, who uh, his problem is that he doesn't tackle very well. And uh, I think this is a good team to train him up, to be honest with you. Yep, and Jordan Simmons, the offensive guard. I said that already. That's the first one I said. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah, okay. So so those are all players the Seahawks traded oh, for. Oh, and Brett or... Hundley was not on the roster uh, yes. uh, at oh, the yeah. time we had to do the podcast. Yes, we, we all predicted Otherwise, Mag- we would have predicted him because you don't trade a six-round pick for somebody and then yeah, cut him. We predicted Magoo, and uh, Magoo ended up on the practice squad. I thought he would, there was a chance he might get snagged by someone else, but they offered him his full salary to make sure that they got him onto the practice squad. Nice. Pretty pretty smart i think savvy move by the seahawks okay of these guys that we traded for so that's simmons hundley thomas luani grace do any of these guys make an impact on this team this year eric um i mean let's hope it's not hundley honestly let's just get that out of the way i thought that was kind of a a weird trade i mean you're trading for experience there I'll say this, but is um, it good experience? Like he was horrible last year. Nine touchdowns versus twelve interceptions. Did not play good at all for the Packers. In fact, played them right out of the playoff race. All he needed to do was like hold tight and do decently, and they went three and six. Yeah, but look at who his coach was. Yeah, it's McCarthy sucks. McCarthy sucks. You know, honestly, if you look at his numbers on a per game basis uh, against teams with middling to poor defenses. He actually was a pretty good quarterback. His completion percentage was really solid. Um, had solid touchdown to interception ratios. The problem was against New Orleans, Baltimore, and uh, twice against uh, the Vikings. That killed his numbers. I mean, in the against the Vikings alone, he threw five of his twelve interceptions. Yeah, the twelve interceptions thing is pretty killer. Like that means that he lost you a couple of those games, right? Single handedly. So, uh, personally, I think you're looking at someone who reminds me a lot of like Tavares Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. If he comes in for a four game stretch, he can probably win you two if the rest of your team's doing well. I'll say this uh, to answer your question, Nathan. I, I don't really know if any of these guys are going to make a a big difference this year. I have Luani circled as a as a person who who could see some time and impress later in the year. If yeah. Luani, if like you said, he, he isn't quite good at tackling, didn't know that. I'll say this: he's uh, he's he's more aggressive. That's what I read. The Seahawks liked him because he was an aggressive player. Yeah, and I can give you a little scouting report because I've seen, yeah. I've watched him play quite a bit uh, from Wazoo, my, of course, because yeah. it went to my alma mater. And uh, I will say, Shalom Luani is an ag- aggressive football player. He's always in the right spot. He makes a lot. He's a kind of a playmaker. His tackling is 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 a weakness though. Like he he gets to the right spot and then kind of like bounces off a guy. And so if he can just figure out like how to be a better tackler, I think you're right. He could be a a player who ends up in the safety rotation and actually has an impact because he's pretty good in coverage too. Uh, Kevin, do you like any of these guys? I think a lot of them at interesting depth. If I were gonna say, first of all, I think if any of them make a significant impact. That's more of a condemnation of the rest of the team mm-hmm. than a good sign about any of the moves. These are a lot of players adding depth to a team that we all said lacked depth. 
Um, all right. Daryl Daniels is the most likely because I think we're going to use all three of our tight ends pretty heavily. Say, okay, I'm with you on Daryl Daniels. I actually think that the well, watching the, some tape on this guy, he's going to play fullback. He's going to be in the backfield on some plays and will be effective in that role. He's a really um, good move tight end. Yeah. And I'll say because I watched a lot of him in college since he went to the team that I most closely identify with. Yeah. And he is... He was recruited originally as a wide receiver, and he has kind of that angular wide receiver type body, which means that he looks like Marcus Colston. Like that's that's yes. the, that's like the guy. Like when I looked at his body, I was like, this guy just looks like a Mark Marcus Colston who who almost was an NFL tight end, uh, but he's gained weight since he's been in the NFL. Like he was bulkier when he in the tape I watched of him on the Colts than compared to the the tape I watched of him from UW. I would agree, but he still has that kind of uh, oversized receiver movement. So I think that's what you're going to see a lot of him as is a like H-back. kind of H-back, the yeah. old Chris Cooley role that's what I that I've too. been begging for someone to play on this team. Yeah, and that's why I think like when, if we decide to bring back uh, Ed Dixon, if he gets his way off the NFI list, you could see Madden spot bite the dust and Daniels kind of move into a like flex H-back, fullback, you know, replace most of the snaps Madden would have played at fullback. Yeah, also with the changes to special teams rules, Daniels has the body type you want to see on special teams. Yeah, agreed. Um, okay, and then my other guy, Jermaine Grace. Uh, Jermaine Grace actually was a really, really high-level prospect coming out of high school. He was a he led the, his team in tackles as a junior, ran into legal trouble, has really good measurables, uh, but hasn't been able to break through mostly because of like character issues. He's only 24 years old. I think he could be really like a decent football player, but he needs time. Uh, it's a nice project for us to throw onto our roster, and he's a really good special teamer. Uh, every Browns fan that I could find a comment on him said that he's just like is really exciting. They're really excited about what he was going to do during in special teams. He's so, also like safety size. He's not a big dude. He's about six one two ten. Yeah, he's very slight. That that hit the big knock on him coming out. But he's my new favorite Seahawk because he has the same birthday as me. So I gotta <laughs> I gotta I gotta support my November eighth brother Jermaine Grace. Um, and then yeah, the other guys I'm not I'm not too pumped about. Like I and you already said. Every, everything I want to say about Luana, you said uh, Simeon Thomas. I don't. I don't really get it. Um, it just seems like we already have Trey Flowers and Dante Johnson. Like, do we need another project corner? Uh, it doesn't make perfect sense to me. And the Thorpe thing was like one of the things that we got the worst read on of the whole roster. Like, we all thought Thorpe was going to get cut uh, or was going to find his way on. And now on he's the a house. captain. And he was the captain. So obviously, Ooh. he's bringing something to the team that we. Well, we the coolest nickname. That's what he's dudes. bringing. We couldn't see easy, easy. We couldn't see. Uh, <laughs> we couldn't see it on the field. Is a big problem for us, right? Like he never ended up playing in a in an actual preseason game. I think it definitely says something that he's the person who was Captain Maxwell was the one that was cut. Yeah, they. Or, they sorry, moved to injury. They decided that the torpedo was someone that they wanted to have leading the special teams and and maybe even showing up on defense. I don't know. Yeah, they we misread him, the Thorpometer. They listed him as their starting <laughs> right nice cornerback, Kevin. Kevin, for game one. Yeah, on we'll the depth see chart. about that. Yeah, I think I would think Trey Flowers gets the start. I would think Flowers or Johnson. Yes, but but we'll see what happens. Okay, rest of the roster kind of shook out as expected. Um, defensive line, we lost Brandon Jackson in one of these trades. Uh, that was kind of surprising to me. Losing a guy who um, I think could play defensive end pretty well and actually had decent pass rush skills was a, a little bit. Um, I don't know, but we have like so many defensive linemen. This was a big confidence vote for Quentin Jefferson. I think the team basically decided that they wanted Rasheem Green to get a lot of snaps, and so I think the rotation is going to be Green and Jefferson um, on on the strong side, so they can deal with the double team from the tight end. Yeah, I see. And then Jordan uh, rotating in on a limited pass rush when they kick one of those inside to be across from Clark to give really big third down pass rush. Yeah, I suspect that Green they're going to bring Green along slow. And De- Deion Jordan's going to be, and Quentin Jefferson are going to be splitting the non-Frank Clark snaps at the beginning of the year. Uh, and Green's going to get his share, but it's not going to be as big as I think maybe people expected. No, it's going to be in that 30 to 35% range yeah. that we seem to give talented rookie D-linemen. Well, do you think when they got rid of Jackson that they just kind of cut ties with what they... These like what they what we saw in potential they saw they can get out of just about anywhere else. Um, I think that what happened was a guy that they wanted became available in waivers, and the, this was they have ten. They were keeping ten defensive linemen, which is kind of a lot, mm-hmm. and they decided, well, we can live with nine. And they, and they went they went from that perspective. Who do we want to get rid of? 
And it probably came down to Jackson or Ford, and I think Ford is the better keep. Ford has a, a I think Ford has a Ford has a huge high, ceiling, high ceiling for his future, and I think keeping him on the roster is really smart. Even if he doesn't play much this year, the four, the four guys in front of him are all really talented. Yeah, uh, but Tom Johnson is an older guy, so yeah. I think planning for the future in that spot makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and Shamar Stephen, I think I I don't know, I want him to play rotation tackle for us for the next like three years. I've been very impressed with him this preseason. He's a much better pass rusher than I than I expected. And yeah, he's 27 years old. He's not. He's not past it in any way. Like I'm. I don't know. I'm kind of excited about the uh, Shamar Steven, uh Yeah, I'm with you. Rotation on. tackle era. Yeah, I think if Mingo can provide the pass rush we're all hoping for, this could be a really interesting team as far as the front seven goes. Yeah, if Mingo and Clark can get you know like two 18 to 20 combined sacks, I think that we're we're trending in the right direction here. Uh, KJ's injury. Okay, it seems like KJ is not going to play or trending towards not playing this week. Uh, Can I talk about Shaquem Griffin first? Okay, do you think Shaquem Griffin gets the majority of steps outside linebacker? Because I, I have a thing about this, but you can go ahead. Do you think Shaquem Griffin, Kevin? I think that Shaquem Griffin, out of the linebackers, will get the majority of the snaps. But what we saw was Shaquem Griffin get flat-out exploited by tight end routes going over the middle of the field, using his aggression to bite on the run fake or pretty much any action off the right side. Hey, wh- We're going to see a lot of five defensive back sets. 1,000% agree. They're going to use yeah. a safety to fill this spot. I, I was heading towards that. Delano Hill is going to get snaps to replace uh And I feel so KJ much more comfortable with that. Or, or sh- maybe even Luani might even get in there if he's up to speed in what we want the defense to do. Calitro might sneak in a few snaps. I think you're going to see Calitro as much as Griffin, if not more. I uh, don't think Calitro has the movement skills that you want. I mean, I just think they're both going to be lo- low snaps, guys. Like, neither of those guys are getting a ton of snaps. I agree. When we put a bunch of linebackers on the field, I think you might see Calitro before Griffin. That's all. That's what, Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, but but th- that's not going to happen very often. I think that more often we're going to see a bunch of defensive backs, Delano Hill up in the box helping out, or maybe even Brad up in the box helping out. Uh, so, yeah, get, get, get kind of acquitted of that. I'm not trying to say sh- – people have misunderstood me on this because I've said, like, I've been pouring cold water on Shaquem Griffin – and I just think that you have to understand he is being asked to do something very different than he was ever asked to do in college. He's learning a new position. He's a fantastic athlete, but like I just don't think he's ready to cover NFL anyone's. Well, and that flies like in the Kevin face said, of what he everyone... got exposed. Kevin said he got exposed, and I completely agree. Like he's just not he's not ready. He, if we asked him to like I don't know four three, if we play three four, I'd be into it. Well, <laughs> here's the thing: I think that you. I, he was asked to play linebacker. That was his position at UCF. But he got after the passer. But the thing about him playing linebacker was that he was asked to do it in a very different way. Seattle needs him to play a specific role. UCF wanted him to be their battery and their playmaker. And it was a very different role right. as a linebacker. And, he was their Von Miller. And KJ, and KJ Wright is like a Roquan Smith. Like he's a, he's a coverage guy. He... he he makes sure that no one makes mistakes. Shaquem's not ready to do that. Like he's not ready to save a bunch of guys from their mistakes. He's he yeah. Kevin, you're on, right yeah. on it. So What's then, up, Eric? I was just gonna say it's it's not that Nathan's pouring cold water on Shaquem Griffin as much as it's pouring cold water on all the reactions to Shaquem Griffin. Just because the everyone talks about it's a great story. He's made the most tackles out of anyone in the preseason, except for Calitro tied him. But. Yeah, well, it doesn't. That's the thing. It's <laughs> are we excited? That excited about Austin Calitro? Then, and that's it's this whole like it's the media pushing an agenda of how great a story this is. And yeah, it's a great story, but it's going to be even better story when he's an asset to the team, to which be, he is to not. Yeah, he's a raw fifth round pick with huge special teams contribution right, right exactly. off the bat and good upside. Him as that gunner in the backfield of the special teams is where we should get excited. Oh like, man, he'll blow people up. He's going to destroy people. Also, I think role. he learns fast. I think that you'll see him soon, but just don't don't rely on him now. Well, maybe by the end of the season, he's getting defensive snaps and playing pretty good. But I'm not ready to get there yet. He the, needs to learn his coverage assignments better. But That's I mean, the big thing. But You're I mean, absolutely there's right. There's no reason he can't do it. Right. The, anyone like he he. There's no one on the team. I'm I'm not even sure there's anyone on the whole team that has better physical tools than Shaquem Griffin. He's an incredible athlete. He's really fun to watch. Um, I'm one year away from from him just being. You know, then yeah, Mingo maybe will be gone. Shaquem takes his spot, or maybe he starts. You know. 
flexing in. I don't know. Like, Let's face it, Jabril Peppers with very similar physical tools was a first round player. And he like and this is a big time talent. Yeah, and Jabril Peppers like took a year to to really get it. And we He's, don't know yet if he will, but that might be because their coaching staff blows. Yeah, I like Jabril Peppers this year. I think like there's upside there, but you're right. But I definitely trust Pete Carroll more than Greg Williams. <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, maybe Greg Williams will find a different way to bribe his players. Uh, okay. Uh, do you guys want to get into the the, uh, the the matchup for this week? Yeah, you guys, let's start you guys ready? About it. All right. So this week, the Seahawks will head to Mile High Stadium to face the Denver Broncos. The Seahawks are slight favorites, correct? No, um, they're, 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 they're three dogs. point underdogs. Three point underdogs. Wow, Nathan. Nathan uh, should have looked before he talked. It's no, a man, close it's... game. Three point underdog basically means that the home team. Is favored because they're at home. Yep, it's a big. The, the, they're saying that these two teams are evenly matched. Over under forty two and a half. Uh, the I think that this is a really tough game to pick because the Seahawks have just as good talent wise. I love our offense more than Case Keenum. Obviously, is a, a downgrade. For, this is like good coach versus bad coach. Is the is the, this is the problem <laughs> for me? Like I like Denver's talent maybe a little more overall. And we'll get into exactly what I like about it. But their coach, Vance Joseph, can we just start with this? Um, Bill Musgrave, their offensive coordinator. Kevin, you you hate Bill Musgrave. What what is uh, you're a Musgrave hater? What what are some things that Musgrave has done to wrong you, Kevin? Did so, he did he sleep with your sister? I don't have a sister. That makes that. Really did he sleep with, is that did he Musgrave's sleep with, fault? Did he sleep with your brother? <laughs> There's some things we don't talk about on the podcast. <laughs> so. Complete. Uh, so, full disclosure: Bill Musgrave is the Tom Cable of offensive coordinators. He has been around forever. Occasionally, in perfect situations, he's put up big numbers. Like he was the offensive coordinator a couple years ago when the Raiders had a really good season. Outside of that, he has had a lot of middling seasons. I researched this guy quite a bit because he was one of the names being talked about for potential offensive coordinator candidates with the Seahawks. And the more I looked into him, the less excited I was about him. And I think he's one of those people where if you give him a lot of talent, then he can do obvious things with that talent that will then lead to good results. That's most people who know what they're doing. That makes him basically a bang average offensive coordinator. He was the mastermind behind Adrian Peterson's 2,000-yard season, which... I think any idiot could have handed any idiot could have handed Adrian Peterson the ball three hundred fifty times. I carefully chose the Tom Cable comparison because Tom Cable's career was propped up by Marshawn Lynch being extremely good. Yeah, it's like that. Adrian Peterson was impossibly good in two thousand and twelve, and so yeah, Bill Mus- giving Miss Bill Musgrave much credit for that is a uh, foolish to say the least. Yeah, um, and so you look at the this offense, they have a much improved offensive line. I actually like their offensive line quite a bit. They've spent a couple of years kind of uh, rebuilding it yeah. and adding Jared Valdir to kind of anchor down that right side was a I big love, time move. I love Ronald Leary too. I mean, he went yeah. on IR last year, but this year I think that he could be huge for them. Uh, I think that Demarius Thomas is a hard player to cover, but I like Shaquille Griffin on that matchup. I think that's an interesting matchup. So then you figure, okay, well, Emmanuel Sanders, he's probably going to play in the slot. So you put Emmanuel Sanders in the slot. Well, our second best cornerback is our slot corner. Yeah, that's a fun so, matchup to watch. It that, should be. That's my matchup of the game right there. Is, is The Sanders-Coleman matchup will be very interesting because if Sanders Sanders is good enough to get off on Coleman, even though we, we talk up how good Coleman is all the time. So if Sanders can get off and get free and make, make do damage to us, that's going to really – they'll be able to move the chains and that'll be tough for the Seahawks. But if Coleman bottles him up, Boy, I have a hard time seeing how they're going to, on third and medium, they, they're, their offense is going to struggle. Yeah, because I'm not a huge Jeff Hewerman fan. What about I, Jake Butt? I do like Jake Butt a lot, actually. I think Jake Butt's a really good tight end, but he still might be recovering. He broke his leg. So then you're looking at Deshaun Hamilton and Cortland Sutton trying to challenge our weak cornerback. So Which those are rookie, Those are rookie wide receivers, and we all know... That rookie wide receivers have a, a steep learning curve when they come to the NFL. Right. So you basically have a fifth year senior going against fifth year senior corners. I think it's a I think it's a really interesting matchup, their offense versus our defense. So I feel like I will say this about Cortland Sutton though. Do you think that he can outrun our inexperienced no. corners? Really? Um I don't think his change of direction is elite. He's a big receiver that doesn't play to his size very well. That was the big knock on him at SMU, was despite being like 6'2", 210, he just never plays that big. And if you look at our corners, our corners are every bit as big and long as he is. Yeah. 
So, but wasn't like Cortland Sutton like really didn't wasn't the scouting report on him that he's like really good at getting out of press coverage though? Yes. So like so, so like, like he will that, that is pretty t- that's going to be tough for the Seahawks if they can't press him like if he's able to get off that press coverage. I'm not saying he's going to burn anyone, but I say he can get past a cornerback and get a long ball. I don't think so. I feel like our corners that are going to play on his side are faster than him. So even if he gets off press, uh, unless yeah, it's a perfect ball placement from Case Keenum. I'm not that concerned. Right. Um. Uh, one thing is uh, the Denver Broncos featured running back is fantasy darling Royce Freeman. Uh, Royce Freeman has been launching up everyone's draft boards all the way up to like the second, third round. Um, listeners of this podcast will know I was the OG Royce Freeman NFL truther. Don't, no one can take my corner, okay? I was on this for so long. I wanted the Seahawks <laughs> to draft this guy so bad. Um, but he he's really good. And, um, Do you I'm remember not who I compared Royce Freeman to? Um, I don't know, probably a plotter because he's not Rashad super fast. Penny. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, I think Freeman has a lot of miles on him from college, so Denver probably is going to get a lot out of him in these rookie rookie contract years and then let him go, and he'll probably never do anything again. That seems like Which is and depressing. Don't sleep on Devontae Booker because he's a pretty decent running back too. Oh, yeah, and Devontae Booker is a really good pass catcher. But I feel so. like we're going to hold him right around 20 points. Okay. I just think that's the way the matchup is. So the question is, can our offense do anything against a vicious pass rush? Okay, wait, let's and can, good corners. Well, like can you I, said, twenty points. Can because... I talk about this run game though? Because their offensive line running to the left is really good, and so we're going to be really leaning on like Q and Jaron to make sure that the left side holds up. Because I don't know if I trust like Mingo to have great, great uh, gap integrity over there. Like that. That's that is an interesting. Uh, them running to the left, I think, will be uh, something to watch during this game. Uh, I wrote that down in my notes, so I had to say it. Kevin said, before I moved on. Kevin said 20 points, and I think that is probably going to come so, via the ground game. So, Kevin, can we score 20 points? What do you think? Uh, you said the ground game. Our ground game, Eric? No, their ground game. Oh. 20 points from Denver is going to come via their ground game. So how do we count it, I do Eric? not like Case Keenum as a quarterback. Um, I mean, that's come on. That's that's like the Case coolest Keenum, take in Case the world. Case Keenum was like the, the darling yes, and of he's last been, year. He's been so good his entire NFL career. Um, <laughs> I really like this off. I shouldn't say I like. The Denver Broncos have a very good offensive line. They have two very capable running backs. I like their, I like their entire running back core. I think that that's how they're going to score here. And I feel like the only problem we'll run into is they're controlling the clock with that run game. I'm glad you said that because I feel like this is the type of Seahawks team where their first drive and a half, we're going to have a lot of trouble bottling up their run game. They'll probably get a touchdown and a field goal out of that. And then after that, in typical Seahawks fashion, we'll figure out how to tweak that run blitz. And I think we're going to neutralize them after that, which is why I think the total, the point total is going to be kind of low. That first drive, though, I think they're going to have that. Uh, it's going to be one of those games where they come out of the gates and are getting chunk yardage off the run. And yeah. as fans, we all start getting really frustrated. And then they adapt. Can we talk about Case Keenum for a second? Can Please. Go, come on, I want to I defend what? Case Keenum's honor. Oh, Eric is mad. Okay, Case Keenum, last year, 67.9% or 6.6% completion percentage, 22 touchdowns versus just seven interceptions. He's like a, he, he's like a, another Jimmy G. 11 he's and like three. a young Jimmy G. Get his jacket. He's like an old Jimmy G. Well, I know he's an old uh, Jimmy G. Here's my thing, okay, with Case Keenum. is There were signs that he was not horrible before that. I mean, in his previous uh, two seasons as a backing up for St. Louis in LA. He he'd gone <laughs> over 60% completion in both of those years. He was 7 and 7, like total record. Like there were signs that he was not like, you know, just super t- terrible. I think that this is a big upgrade for this offense. This offense wasn't completely inept last year with Trevor Simeon as their starting quarterback. And I think the delta between Simeon and Keenum is is very large. Though it's a big upgrade for them. So we might you might be surprised by this offense might be better than people think that's that's my that's my main point so you'd say that there were signs in 2016 with the rams that he was pretty decent that he was just okay okay because his numbers are almost identical to brett hunley yeah brett Brett hunley brett hunley who had like 12 interceptions though yeah nine touchdowns 11 interceptions versus nine touchdowns 12 interceptions yeah but that was jeff fisher dude you gotta you gotta you gotta (laughs) Uh, excuse me mccarthy (laughs) McCarthy's way better than Jeff Fisher. He must be an Aaron Rodgers in order to overcome the McCarthy factor. He has a list. And on that... Oh, sorry. Wrong McCarthy. Uh, I'll say this about... (laughs) I'll say this about... (laughs) (laughs) 
Kevin's so proud of the joke. Scare joke. I couldn't. Uh, I'll say this about Case Keenum. (laughs) I don't think he's a terrible quarterback, but I think he's a game manager and in a good way. He's a guy who's going to manage the game. He's going to keep you in it. Here's the thing: Denver wanted a better quarterback. They've wanted better quarterbacks, and John Elway is pretty easy to read. When they got Case Keenum, easy. He's he's very easy to read as as a GM. And if when they got Case Keenum, you could tell he was just like, fine, like one more year <laughs> treading water, because that's what they're doing. I mean, it's an upgrade, but it's not like an. Upgrade. You think they're like trying to? They're trying to just like go like six and ten this year, get you, rid of their whole coaching staff, and then be good next year. I think eight and eight, and yes. I mean, if they would have got Kirk Cousins, if they would have scored a jackpot lottery pick, if they would have got. Kirk Cousins again. Do you think Elway might be more of the problem than the solution here? Like, he was kind of a control freak. and yeah. I think that's not helping things. I don't know, man. He brought him a Super Bowl. He he put together the most prolific offense of all time. Yeah, man. It takes that a great then, GM to think that Peyton Manning's going to be good. That then uh, got destroyed in the Super Bowl by us. <laughs> and then they came back and they took an old Peyton Manning Why and they, a completely retooled defense and won that Super Bowl. Why I think they Elway's give Vance fine. Joseph a hit? He'd, not, he'd only been a defense coordinator for one year. I take that all back. Van Joseph's terrible. <laughs> I'm just curious. It's kind of weird. Okay. Uh, all right. Seahawks. Let's talk about our offense versus their defense now. So, so I think you have to be worried about two things here. It's the pass rush from Bradley Chubb, uh, Vaughn Miller, Shane Ray. And behind that pass rush, don't forget they have really good corners. Uh, Chris Harris is excellent. Bradley Roby is underrated. And, Bradley Roby's good. Uh, then they have uh, Isaac pa- Yadam. Pac-Man Jones. And Pac-Man Jones. One of those two. <laughs> Don't ever sleep on I Pac-Man Jones. I know how Jones, much you dude. love Pac-Man Jones. Crafty I can't. veteran. He is I can't 30, help myself. He's 34 going on 21. Okay, the yes. only thing is, I don't love their safeties. No, they're not great. And so I think that they could be kind of exploitable over the middle. I also don't think that their linebackers are necessarily like plus-plus coverage linebackers. Well, I think you, uh, Brandon are talking Marshall, shit about Brandon Marshall right now? Uh, I think Brandon Marshall is a solid coverage linebacker. Oh, okay, good. But when you look at their linebacker core as a whole, like Bradley Chubb ain't covering nothing. You know, uh, they're going to drop Derek Wolf into zone. I mean, so when you look at their scheme, they need to get home. So I think if you look at the quick-hitting uh, passing game that we used a lot in the preseason, where you have, like, you know, your slot receivers on a slant, you're flexing uh, CJ Pro size out into a receiver role, and you're just kind of quick hitting them, or those runs straight up the gut. I feel like if we can get some of that rolling, we could really exploit this defense with just with the way it's constructed. There are holes. This is not the Denver defense of two years ago. The, I I'm um I'm into this defense in, from a personnel standpoint. Like I read all the players, and I think that they seem good. I just don't get why they play this hybrid three four. It should be a four three. If they played like a regular four three, it would be so much. I'd be so much more into what they're doing. Like they could bring out um, Marshall and Miller, and and then either Jewel or Davis as their three linebackers, and then put Chubb and and Shane Ray on at the end. They have the personnel to play a four three. I don't. Yeah, really Derek get- Wolf is a great three tech. Yeah, I don't get what they're what they're trying to play at here. It's one of those things where you you see a defense and you think like they're they're trying to. Demonte Pico is large. They're trying to put their square pegs into round holes. They want the the system. The system's more important than the players. And I think you you need to be able to be flexible to change your defense to fit the personnel. We saw this last year with the Eagles, where the Doug Peterson was able to take an offense that maybe had slightly less talent than um, than most other offenses and get. 110% of what we expected out of it because he never tried to fit a square peg into a round hole. He made all the holes the right size for his players. That lends itself That's, to what we were saying about are this we doing record, phrasing? though. Are we doing phrasing, guys? Go ahead, Eric. It's like No, it's like uh, the 6-10, and 8-8 eight and eight that we're talking about. That's exactly what Vance Joseph is going to bring this team. And I feel like there's no way around it. I don't feel like he can transform this roster into something more. Why is, why is Shane Ray... Why are they... Why are they setting up their roster so Shane Ray, Bradley Chubb, and Von Miller can't all be on the field at the same time? That's that's like inexplicable to me. It's, um, un, it's unacceptable. Uh, they don't like having their best players on the field. <laughs> it seems inefficient. I like, feel like it's a depth issue, and they this is sound, this sounds really dumb. I think it's the young quarterback. 
I want to have something in the gas tank. You hear that from from just, a lot of coaches, and I feel like that's ingrained. This is, this is not rocket science. You you slide Gostas and Wolf and play them as your ta- defensive tackles, and you put Chubb and Shane Ray at, at defensive end, and you mix in Demata Pico at, as a run stopper on on a. For, I don't. This is they not, do not get that. This is not that rocket makes sense science. to I'm everyone in this to, room, but not them. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. You know, it's just like yeah, I think they're trying to outclever themselves. I agree, yeah. and so they want to be like multiple in their fronts, and so you will see all those guys out. But you never know where the pass rush is coming from. But at the same time, you're relying on Bradley Chubb to play in a very different role than he's ever played before. And yeah, if you're asking him to do more than just run out in the flat and kind of be there, you're asking too much. Yeah, I really, I would love to see Bradley Chubb trying to cover CJ uh, Process. Oh my God, CJ Process. It would be funny. CJ Process on a wheel route against Bradley It'd Chubb. Be like is Percy Harvin against Portnoy in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think I think your I, comment earlier is right in that. The thing that we know Schottenheimer's not going to do, Schottenheimer's not going to outthink himself. He is a veteran offensive uh, play caller who's going to dial up. He, he's not, I don't think he's going to wow us at any point, but he's not going to do a stupid thing. Well, yeah. he's not, I feel like, where Schottenheimer's going to play harder or think harder, work harder, that whole work smarter is going to work against the Denver Broncos here. Another thing we've seen this preseason is we've seen that this this team, when the first five offensive line guys play together, it's actually not bad. It's it's fine. Yeah, if and, Luker's there to make sure Fetty knows where to stand. Yeah, I feel like the, the if he's just there to be dad. I mean, move it's over, stupid, but over an inch. DJ and Jermaine really communicate really well, and if that's what Jermaine needs to be successful, then screw it. Like that's that's fine. I'm okay with that. You know, I can live with that. These, these two, he needed another guy who was also from the south or something like <laughs> a translator. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. This is yeah. Can you put that in West Texas for me? Like this is oh, this is getting weird. The other thing is, I'm really looking forward to seeing Will Disley drive block Shane Ray into the third row because that's going to happen at some point. Yeah. Well, Shane Ray does. Shane Ray, when you challenge him with power, it's uh That's not what Shane Ray's good at. It's not great. I'm, wait until we get to the Vic Beasley situation because I'm going to say the same stuff. It can be easier. Anytime we have an undersized outside. Uh, personnel, and we have Will Disley. I want to see a lot of right side runs because then they have to pick if they're going to be blocked by him, a Fetty, or Fluker. So basically, like which large piece of humanity is going to just run <laughs> you over? Yeah, the the key for me in this game for the Seahawks is can they get the run game going, Kevin? You just said it. Like, can they get the the run game going over both sides? Can they be? Can they mix up the run game if they're able to move the ball on the ground at all? And they've shown that they're committed to trying. You know, they're not going to stop trying. Uh, this this could be a, a real. It's going to be a really tight game. Yeah, I also feel like this is not the game where you're going to see Russell's legs. Uh, this is not the game where that's going to happen because their outside contain is too fast. So we need the rest of the offense clicking. It's going to be another game where the style of the defense is a little different. A four three that maybe only has one good rush linebacker or All one right. good rush end. It's fine. Pete Carroll said this week that that uh, Mike Davis had won the third down back job. He was going to be the third down back to Chris Carson starting in this game. I don't believe you. <laughs> There's no way that if Price is healthy, he's not going to be on the field for like 10 to 20 third down snaps. I think all that tells us is the first third down snap is going to Mike Davis yeah. in yeah. typical Pete Carroll fashion. CJ, <laughs> CJ, if he's healthy, there's, they're, they're going to get him out there. They're going to get him involved. He's like, going to get at least, like, he's going to get a, a good number of snaps and, like, six to ten touches. Yeah, I, I'm, on, I'm on with that. With you. I'm on board with that with you, Kevin. Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin's been nursing injury all preseason. He says he won't be 100% for the whole for the whole season. Do you think that the Seahawks might do something like let Tyler Lockett steal some of his uh his slot snaps, like give him some more rest? Or do you think he's on the he's on the field 100% of snaps like last year? I think the first game or two because he remember he has to shake off the rust. I think he might act as a little bit of a decoy on the outside to let Lockett work the slot, especially against a team like Denver, where their coverage over the middle is not going to be as good as their coverage on the outside. Yeah, like they, if you could, if you can isolate Chris Harris on Doug Baldwin, then you're basically neutralizing Chris Harris, which is good. Yeah, it's going to be hard for whoever's Chris Harris is on, no matter what. I don't think any of our receivers match up very well with him. Uh, but I mean, he does play in the slot some too, so he, he might he might fall lock it inside and stuff. Uh, the Brandon Marshall made the team. He surprised some people. Do you guys think that Brandon Marshall 
can use his size to his advantage in this game and get get over the middle, maybe make some big catches. Uh, I'm, that's kind of my my uh, my prediction here is that you know Brandon Marshall and and Vinette through the seams through the middle work in the middle part of the field. Well, I think Brandon, the, Marshall's so strong. That's what I like about him. I mean, he's he's also a, a bigger receiver for us. I like that Denver is going to do the uh, you know we can contain Russell Wilson, let him try and beat you with their arm. Uh, the the Seahawks let let them rely on Russell's arm because they probably don't believe in our running game. They probably don't believe in our offensive line, and they believe believe that they can contain Russell, which they might be able to do. So in this scenario, Russ is going to have to use his arm, which we're ready to do. The only thing is if if Doug Baldwin isn't up to eighty percent, that kind of bothers me. I do like. Brandon Marshall on the outside. I love what Kevin said about Tyler Lockett in the slot and Doug being a decoy. I'd also like to see what you said about seams going up the middle. I'd like to see what Disley can do. It'd be fun to see him, you know, block and then go out on a wing route. I'd love to see that. The other thing I think you want to watch out for is if we get the run game going a little bit, or I should say, if we are reliably using the run game. Here comes play action. Watch Mm -hmm. play action with our slot receivers because Brown... Lockett and Baldwin all offer good speed in the slot and the ability to work the middle of the field. And you saw in the preseason, Brown just has a knack for getting open off of play action. And we also, this is what we've been looking forward to for years. We don't have Daryl Bevel playing, calling plays for us anymore. This is what we've we've wanted to see, just the playbook open up. Yeah, Bevel's opening script always sucked. It'll be interesting to see uh, what the opening script looks like. Even from just to Sean see Hammer. our tight ends do tight end things. I'm excited for that. All right, which University of Central Florida player has a bigger impact on this game? Brandon Marshall or Shaquem Griffin? Oh, you did not see that coming, did you? Uh, Kevin, make your pick. <laughs> which Brandon Marshall? Oh, our Brandon Marshall. Is there, oh, did there Brandon Marshall call. go to Central Florida? No, too? I think he went to Georgia Tech. Okay. <laughs> I, I got excited for a second. I was like, no, he went to Nevada. Nevada? Okay. Oh, I was way off. Okay, so Kevin, which Brandon, which UCF product, though? Brandon Marshall or Shaquem Griffin? Uh, I'm going to go with Brandon Marshall. Okay, Eric. I'm going to go uh, Shaquem. Right. Follow-up question. Which Brandon Marshall is going to have a bigger impact on the game? There, Brandon there, Marshall. There, Marshall. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, our Brandon Marshall is going to have a better game than Shaquem. But I, you know what? I think that's a good Twitter poll. Um, maybe we'll put that out to the, the 12s. Uh, th- th- I, that's one thing I learned this week when I was researching is that Brandon Marshall went to Central Florida. And I was like, oh, Central, another Central Florida connection. We, we are like Central Florida North. Uh, so uh, we got a lot of UCF boys. Although we did cut. Uh, Mutcherson, and he did not make it to the practice squad. I thought he got put on IR. Um, I don't see him on our. Yep, on he's the, right oh, there. he's right there. TJ Mutcherson, thirty-eight. Hmm. All right, well, there you go. He's he's around. Keep him yeah, with we it. stashed a lot of people with quote unquote injuries this year. Yeah, McKissick. <laughs> By the way, people are mad about the McKissick thing. Why didn't we keep a wide receiver? We could have we could have held on to Darbo and then just uh, IR'd McKissick early. But now I, if we designate McKissick for IR before the season starts, he can't come back. So, like, that's why we waited on Maxwell and McKissick. Like, those guys can be designated for return now. And the rules for that changed. You don't have to designate them until they're actually going to come back. So, yep. so like, all these guys, Jamarco Jones, Khalid Hill. Uh, Khalid Hill's not coming back. But J.D. McKissick, Byron Maxwell. Like, all those guys can come back from IR if we want. Um, Austin Davis's fake injury. Like, that was the fakest one. I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, what is Austin Davis? Or, he was, like, limping around in the second half. I was like, that's a fake limp. They're definitely, like, just trying to get Austin Davis on the IR. The Eric the Walden one is also really bad. I don't I don't even notice him being hurt at all. It was even fake limping. Okay. So. No, they just, they're like, look at him. He clearly looks injured. Eric Walden's super old, too. Like, <laughs> I didn't even know Eric Walden was 33. Eric Walden just getting that guaranteed paycheck to sit around in case we need a rush linebacker. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> The two positions where our team has the greatest advantage in this game, quarterback and punter. Punt. Oh, I actually think that punter's pretty good. You knew he was coming. He dances. <laughs> he dances. Marquette King's good, dude. I'm just saying our punter is better and has a better attitude. If you can tell me what, yeah, better attitude for sure. If you can tell me what college Marquette King went to, everyone who can tell me gets a high five. Like Fresno. Tulane? No, it's obscure though. Not Fresno. His education left Carolina State A and T. Two thousand twelve. He went to Fort Valley State, Georgia. That's not even real. Powerhouse. Nice Division try, Nathan. <laughs> I don't know anything about that college. Nice try. Uh, I just didn't know that Marquette King. He got cut. What did he get cut, or whether they trade him? He got. He cut. got cut, and then he threatened. Wait, 
he threatened a reporter in Denver. So he's already off to a great Didn't start. Didn't it also turn out he was sleeping with like Al Davis's daughter or something? Uh, not Al Davis, uh, the other Davis. It was actually the younger uh, Davis. It was actually just Al Davis. <laughs> His corpse. His corpse. This, uh, this got real dark. <laughs> it's, it's this the, video is not rated for Punt Hub. We're in unrated territory now. Um, okay. I, I actually think their punter is good, though. We just have a punter advantage over everyone at this yes. point. Oh, man. He's going to get the punt at mile high. It's going to be mile. Ladies and gentlemen. Literally a mile high. I will do a segment next week with my favorite punt from Hopefully this. Hopefully this doesn't break no, it. No, there's no punts. We won't have to punt. We'll score every drive. I don't care. We're going to punt for fun. All right. Let's go to scores. Just to see what happens. Let's go to scores. Eric, what, what's your score for this game? 28. Oh, wait. I forgot. There was one more defense question I wanted go, to ask. Go, 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 go. All right. Who starts at right cornerback? For the oh, Seahawks. It's like a um, really hard question. Yeah, I really don't. Uh, not Akeem King. That's my answer. He got cut. No, no. He's on the practice squad, I'll it's, have you know. So that's why I said not Akeem King. Well, he definitely needs a lot of practice. Honestly, man, that's 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 a, ridic- <laughs> that's a ridiculous question, Nathan. There's three choices. You got the Torpedo. Dante uh, Johnson. Flowers, you got Dante Johnson. Dante Johnson. He has the experience. I think they yeah. want to give Trey Flowers some seasoning. Oof, but I think around week four. You call what happened to him in San Francisco last year experience? Trial by fire. It was trial I like, by fire. Let's face it, there was no pass rush there either to help him out, so he's really ready for more this like, game. More like trial by fired. I really like Trey Flowers, Yo. but not not starting this week. Into the sun. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a little off grid. I'm going with the torpedo guys. Here he comes. Easy, easy. Uh all right. The prediction, Eric, go ahead. Uh okay, I'm going 28. 28 20. Seahawks. Let's do it. Kevin. I'm gonna go with twenty-three. 15 Seahawks. I got higher faith in these offense than offenses than you guys. I'm going shootout at mile high, 30 to 28 Hawks. Woo! All right, so too close. Too close. <laughs> <laughs> too high. Too Brandon high. McManus mixes, misses a 63-yard field goal as time expires. Wide <laughs> right, too. My it's heart not, cannot take this. It's not short. It's wide right. Um, uh, okay, uh, so they snap the ball over Case Keenum's head in the first quarter. Recovery for a touchdown. And it's 44-7. to seven. That's my prediction. And then uh, mm. Shaquem Griffin punches his brother in the face. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just came out. That was a little uh, Percy Harvin Golden Tate nod there. Okay. Anyway, uh, if you would like to support the CX Nest podcast, great transition for <laughs> me. This is the time me. to say that, too. <laughs> Eric, I know, if you would like to support the CX Nest podcast, you can have it on patreon.com slash Seahawks nest and join our legion of loyal fans we've got 20 of you over there helping out helping us out making a few making the podcast happen a big thank you to the people that i'm gonna read their names right now you like that filibuster <laughs> that was good feeling. forrest tom lucas carrie brett mike david mirza keith arthur frank michelle michael brian william russell kevin cody kimberly and nick uh, those thank you guys so much for your support as Forrest, your support was so important to us that this week you got to pick the movie club movie so stay tuned for that uh, if you don't have any money and you want to uh support the, and you want to support the uh CXNest podcast you can over to facebook.com slash seahawks nest to give the seahawks nest page a like i'll never see it because i got rid of facebook twitter.com slash slash seahawks nest or uh facebook face- no i already did that Oh. Uh, Instagram. Tom, Tom found us on Instagram the other. Uh, one of our uh, our Way loyal go, Tom. Patreon I don't know where we are on Instagram. So I, I, you're doing better wow. than me. Wow. I I was like, because I've logged into the Instagram on my phone now, but just I only took one picture of the of the of the kid wearing Seahawks garb, and then I I kind of forgot about that that the Instagram existed, and then I got we got to kick that up, Eric. Me and you, we gotta make that happen. Okay, we gotta make that a thing. All right, and then um, I'll just keep tweeting to all the bots. <laughs> And JRB. Thanks, JRB. Yeah, JR- I appreciate having human interaction. JRB. JRB is like uh, the best Twitter follower that we got. Um, okay. Then um, that's it. That's how you support the CX Nest. Now, movies on. Uh, movie Club. Forrest gave us two choices for movies, and I made the executive decision. We're going to do them both, but we're going to do one this week and one at a random time during the season when we all have time to watch a movie. So... We picked the movie that we'd all seen before, but we thought, man, we didn't really remember it at all. Let's watch it again. So we watched it again, and it was What Dreams May Come, uh, starring Robin Williams. It is, so the director, it's his only American movie. It was written by the guy that wrote Rain Man, 
like this movie has a hell of a pedigree. Like if you look at it from that angle, post Oscar Cuba. Yeah, this is the Cuba Junior Junior's first movie coming off the Oscar. Oh, is that it? Really, his first. Yep, it's Robin Williams. Ronald Bass is the writer, by the way. And this guy, like, I didn't ever know. Like, this guy's like a huge heavy hitter. He wrote Rain Man. He wrote Waiting to Exhale, Dangerous Minds, My Best Friend's Wedding, What Dreams May Come, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Snow Falling on Cedars. Uh, like he just does all that guy's got range entrapment. Like he does all these movies, and so I'm like, okay, cool. This was an adapted screenplay. It should be stated from a novel from the 70s right. by uh, Richard Matheson. Richard Matheson, the guy who's who got wrote, chaps. I am Legend. He's a kind of a famous, popular uh, horror, sci-fi, fantasy. He would say that he's not a horror writer. He would say he writes terror books, which I think is so much cooler. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I will say he writes existential crises. That's yeah, what he does. this movie is an existential crisis uh, waiting to happen. Okay, um, Kevin, start with you. Get us start. Get us started. What, what did you think? What did you think of this movie as you watched it? Okay, so um, a friend of a mutual friend of or a mutual acquaintance of myself and Nathan described this as uh, sad Wonka, <laughs> sad Willy Wonka. I was so funny too because I I put it in the, we're in this like group chat for movies and I was like, hey guys, I'm about to watch What Meet Dreams. I come. What do you guys think of it? And everyone's like. I don't know what to think of that movie, but it's really good to talk about. <laughs> Which I was like, oh man, that's what, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about it. So like, And it was so true. As I watched it, I was like, yeah, this movie's weird, man. But it's going to be really good to talk about. So I feel like the editing was bad. The yeah, the pacing was oh, really give, random. Give us plot rundown. There's so, some really weird, non-sequential storytelling in this movie that I'm like, what is so, happening? So, Nathan, do you want to start by giving us the plot, and then um, I'll so, fill well, in can with you, comments? Can you do the plot, please? Kevin, okay. you're good at this. I, so, I'm like, I'm like uh, the thing is, is that because the timeline jumped around a lot, like, I kept getting, I happened to rewind and like rewatch parts because I wasn't paying close enough attention. And then I like go back and watch it again. You have to pay close attention to this movie. This movie's like Nathan's a millennial. He just can't watch a movie. I was trying he to get ready for the first avocado toast. I'm trying to get ready for the first day of school, guys. Hashtag teacher problems. Okay, hey, I can relate. Guys, so. <laughs> I'm gonna say, Kevin. <laughs> The, the editor of this movie edited some cool movies you've heard of too. Independence Day, uh, The Patriot, Lolita, uh, Day After Tomorrow, Wanted, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. I will say many of those movies are very straightforward. I understand why this would be challenging for Batman him. versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. <laughs> God, sorry, I couldn't help it. Yeah, you you uh, chose so the editor. I wanted to bury him at the end. <laughs> this movie is uh, Robin Williams plays Chris Nielsen, uh, who is a uh, doctor. Doctor. Pediatrician. He's like a kid. He doctor. starts off as a um, cardiovascular surgeon and becomes a pediatrician, uh, which is kind of a plot point. And he is married to uh, Annabelle. Is it Scoria or Scoria? Annabella Scoria. But her name's Annie in the movie. Okay, who plays Annie? And they meet in kind of a serendipitous way. They do a nice job of having a little vignette where they meet younger, get married. They like crash their they like crash their boats into each other in like a lake in Switzerland yep. and then fall in love. It's super weird. Yeah, there's a great line. Uh what was it? She she's trying to ask in Italian where Switzerland is and they eventually figure out that he speaks English and uh they realize they're both American. He goes, "Just keep sailing that way until you either what was it? Find money or chocolate. Uh, yeah, until you either find money or step into cho- or step oh. in chocolate. No, I think it was was it smell money or step in yeah, chocolate. Yeah, smell money or step in chocolate, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a really Robin Williams line. Uh you can definitely tell he ad-libbed a little bit in this movie. So he he ad-libbed every everything. If you, one of my favorite things to do, if you ever can find it, there's multiple takes where it'll show what the uh, screenplay says. Well, Robin Williams, so it'll have the screenplay in subtitle while Robin Williams is talking, and the amount of humanity he adds to all of his characters is exceptional. Uh, we could talk about this at the end, but I think dramatic Robin Williams is an incredibly underrated actor. Oh, and he had some really crap gets, uh, scripts to work with. But uh, anyway, so the two of them, they have uh, a boy and a girl who, as teenagers, die in a car crash. Uh, four years later, um, Robin Williams is running a favor for his wife, and there's a car crash in a tunnel. As a doctor, he gets out and runs to help and ends up getting basically mowed down in the aftermath of the car crash in a really awkwardly shot scene where it's really hard to tell what's going on. It almost looks like, yeah, it, it looks like there's like yes. a crash already that happened, and then he gets out, and then apparently, like, no one can tell there's a crash where there's clearly a crash because all of a sudden people just keep running into the backs of other cars despite there being no fog. Like, this was a really weirdly shot scene. 
it it made me feel like a foreign person talking about American driving. <laughs> and then there's a really weird dream vignette type situation where it goes through the process of him becoming dead. And then there's Blurface, Cuba right. Gooding so, Jr. naked. Wait, so, so yeah. So Cuba, naked Cuba Gooding Jr. comes in and he's like, hey, man, you can't hang around with your wife like this. She's just going to get more sad. Like, you're just, gonna, you're just torturing her more. And every time he interacts with her, she basically goes crazy. Yeah. And so he eventually, like, walks away. And he listens to Cuba Gooding, naked Cuba Gooding Jr. Yep. And then he he's there's even like a, there's even like a gag where like there's a naked lady in one of his wife's paintings, and then he's like, "Look familiar to Cuba." Yeah. <laughs> Cuba Gooding, and also by the way, Cuba's acting is really weird in this movie. Uh huh. I, I don't. Agree. If can I just? I don't feel like Cuba Gooding Jr. has ever really had a great role outside of Boys in the Hood. Like I don't. I don't think like Jerry Maguire was that great for an Oscar. That's Honestly, just, I feel like he's note. playing the same characters he didn't uh, about, Jerry Maguire, about, and it's really awkward in this role. What about radio, though, dude? Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> this is a Patreon movie. <laughs> I, I know I brought up radio during the uh, Patreon thing. So they end up in like his special place, which is uh, where he and his wife are always going to retire, which is the scene. That she painted, uh, where it's like a lake house. Now this, so I feel like, is so where like, Nathan should it's interject. It's like a house in Italy, and it's like they go. He the first thing he does, like Kevin's right, he goes into like watercolor world. Yes, and his dog is there, and then he and then he the uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. teaches him the power of imagination. Yes, <laughs> and then they and then he starts imagining things, and then Cuba Gooding Jr. makes the bird poop on his head. Uh, yep, that's the thing that happens. So yeah, there's like a bunch of weird stuff like that. It's where like they, paint manji. They do something like that, and you're just like, why? Why did they do that? Yeah, there's some odd gags in there. There's some uh, there's some really harsh transitions. Like it so right before the dog comes in, they do a flashback to having to put the dog down and his daughter's really upset that the dog's being put down and it seems really weird, but it seems like it's just to justify why the dog is there. It has, and it's, that was an odd scene. It goes back to Nathan saying that there were just he couldn't he couldn't keep up that sometimes he had to keep rewinding because they kept switching between worlds. Yeah, or, or like moments. weird things would happen where it'd be like he'd be like hanging out with the like he'd be hanging out with someone and all of a sudden like that's actually his daughter that already reincarnated once and died again. And it's like well, oh. no, she didn't reincarnate once and died again. She decided to take the physical form of a random stewardess. On the uh, plane trip they took as a family to Hawaii. Amen. Because that's what she wanted to be like when she grew up, but never had the chance to grow up. And they literally just do that in a bit of expose in a conversation right after a flashback about him teaching her how to play chess and then playing chess every night before bed for four months. It's a little too much. And she never won. This is one of those things where I think the, the director... Maybe just love the book too much and didn't understand that movies have to be shot differently than no, books. No, the book's really different than the movie. Okay, then I don't know what's going on here. There's a bunch. It's, it's okay. There's weird non-sequential storytelling. Like I said, like there's just scenes that don't seem like they fit together and at all. Non-sequential storytelling is fine, and like weird the, non-sequential in, storytelling is fine. In the but, book, Kevin, the kids aren't even dead. Okay, I don't know what's going on with these decisions. <laughs> uh, then okay, so here's my thing about this movie. Okay, we've talked a lot about it. Um, visually, it's incredible. Oh, eventually he has to go into hell to retrieve his wife after she commits suicide. Yeah. And that's kind of the climax of the uh, story and okay. the plot. There are, the thing is, this movie is imperfect. It's yeah. very imperfect. There's lots of things that are messed up about this movie like that are just not good. But it is very emotionally affecting um, in a way that I, I'm surprised, I was surprised by. Um, I was consistently surprised that I was having like strong emotional reactions to a lot of the things that were happening in this movie because I knew it wasn't like a great movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like, not. I'm like, I'm like, this movie's I, but then like, and it's like kind of gob- gobbledygook. Like, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on, but like, but then like the the perf- I think it's the performances. Oh, it's a super tearjerker. The 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 female lead, uh, Annabelle Scoria and Robin Williams, are both so good in this movie. Well, there's that, but also it's not it's not so much good storytelling, but the director, he kind of paints this like a canvas, and art 
is meant to move you in some way, you know, to get you to think or to move your emotions. And he does that with scenes in this. The scenes in Hell, walking on the faces, that's a lot to take in if you think about it. And then also the one with the boats in the background, the burning ships. and the, yeah, that, yeah. It looks like a painting. And you know, the, like you're right. And the watercolor world that we were talking about, it's it, it was kind of weird to take it first. But when, when he's walking on water... It's it's all like one big piece of art. It reminded me of uh, the director who directed the the Cell. That's a really weird movie. Uh, oh. Tarsum is the name of the director. Um, he directed the Losing My Religion video from REM. The Cell is with uh, Jennifer Lopez, Vince Vaughn, and uh, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. It's a really weird movie. My point being in this uh, to diverge is to say that that is a guy who shot something. Uh, in a dream world and the real world was all gray and kind of like monotone and then when he went into this dream world everything was fantastical and that's where the art came in and that is another like that's a really bad movie but the art kind of tells the story and that's what i felt like this was a positive version of that movie right, think about it. it's like the, the 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 lesson at the heart of it is so simple you know like this guy will do anything for his wife. He's in love so much, right? He'll do anything for his wife. And it's like, there, everything else is just kind of in service to that. But like the way it's presented is both at the same time frustrating, but also fascinating. Does that make, does yeah. that make sense? Like, it's just, I'm frustrated. I wanted something more comprehensible, but like, it was so fascinating and like just honestly kind of it's beautiful it's it's imperfect it's 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 broken a little bit but it's beautiful uh on the plexi scale i think it lands somewhere between a 45 and a 55 for me yeah i I gave it a 51 okay and out of 100 i feel like it's because i i think we can so i think we can all agree it is visually beautiful it has a single message around love and loss that it wants you to feel and individual performances particularly there are large segments of this movie that robin williams straps on his back and in a yeoman's effort Mm -hmm. like there are scenes in this movie where you know we joke about with the seahawks uh, that Daryl Bevel's playbook had like an entire segment that was Russell Wilson does something magical and then we have a first down. Mm-hmm. There are entire segments of this movie that was Robin Williams improvises tons of humanity and then we have a good scene. Like kind of like in Saturday Night Live where they've said that they just write Keenan reacts into the script. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robin Williams. And so I want to parlay this into that other discussion that I think is a really good one to have out of this. Um, I think Robin Williams is one of the best dramatic actors of the last 30 years. If you look at him, and I think the reason why is that Robin Williams had an innate understanding of uh, timing and humanity. And his comedic timing and his dramatic timing were the same. He had a great understanding of exactly how much you could put in a scene and have it be meaningful and exactly how meaningful that a quiet comment or a nonverbal could be. For as big and boisterous and outlandish as he was in a lot of scenes, even like a even a dumpster fire like Patch Adams, there are some great scenes where it's him ad-libbing a lot of the human condition into something. And he... Uh... I mean, he started his career doing some, uh, some, some more acting roles, not just comedian, uh, comedy movies. The the world according to Garp is mostly uh, that fits in with his later body of work, um, oh, like um, Dead Dead Poets Society. Yeah, I mean, look at him in oh, Good uh, Morning Vietnam had a lot of dramatic scenes. Dead yeah. Poets Society is like a is a dope movie. Like, yeah, and of course his turn in Good Will Hunting, like I feel like he is that movie. No offense, uh, Matt Damon. Oh, he stole every scene he was in. Yeah. That that movie, like it works on so many levels. Like everyone in that movie just crushes it. Yep, like, even I, Mini Driver. Um, I just think that movie is so so good. Uh, but yeah, like what? So you're. I mean, we all probably would say Good Will Hunting is our favorite. Uh, serious Williams, Robin Williams role. Is there is there an underrated Robin Williams role that you guys would like to shine a light on? I uh, take the opportunity to mm. shine the light on. Um, oh, that's really hard. Uh, insomnia. Seen, insomnia. 
If you haven't seen Birdcage, I feel like you gotta you gotta see that, guys. Uh, <laughs> Birdcage, Birdcage is a wonderfully it's, ridiculous movie. It's 1996, so like I'm feeling like it's 20, been 22 years. There's gonna be people who've never even heard of that movie. You know, I got two uh, Insomnia, Christopher Nolan movie. Not a lot of people saw that. That was his follow up to Batman Begins, and it just kind of snuck in there uh, between Memento and Batman Begins. And then also, <laughs> I'm gonna throw Cadillac Man out there. Insomnia, 92 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, man, it's it's Nolan. It's got Pacino in there. Yes, it's a bet you that movie has a great ass. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. I can't. Good job that. turning away on that one. Yeah, it's still gonna blow up. Yeah, it's still gonna destroy everyone. <laughs> Kevin, you got a you got one in here. Uh, yeah, I think a really interesting movie, uh, where he plays a very unlikable character, would be um, August Rush. Okay. Uh, Two thousand seven family movie. Uh, it's not a great movie, but it's a really interesting one. Uh, it's about music. It's about uh, kind of overcoming the odds. And uh, Robin Williams functionally plays a con man. Okay. And he does a good job of using his ability to quickly change emotions. But in this one, he kind of changes from uh, like joyful to vicious in a way that makes him a really unique and interesting villain. Yeah, it sounds like this movie has some of the similar problems that maybe the movie we just watched has. Like, where it's, like, flimsy direction, medium. Or is it, is it not that? Is it different, Kevin? Like, what's what holds this movie back? Because I'm reading the reviews, and it sounds like it's got, like, similar, like, editing, production. Uh, yeah, I would agree. There's, uh, there's some scenes where they just hang out in the scene longer than they need to. Or there's some parts where they kind of beat a dead horse on a concept, and you're ready for them to kind of move on to the next thing. Okay. It's an hour 52, and it could have easily been an hour 30. It's two and a half hours long? Yikes. Oh, no, it says... No, it says, hour 52. Oh. oh, oh, one hour, 14 minutes. Okay, that's better. Okay, that's way better. Okay, sorry. Yeah, for it some could, reason, have, I thought it could have easily been like 95 minutes, minutes though. That. Okay. Like, I feel like there's about 20 minutes of dead air. Hey, we hit overtime in this one, so let's get it. Let's wrap it You're up. you getting your money's worth for us. For, uh, for Kevin Garber, I'm Nathan Sano, and that's Eric Ronenbeck, and we will see you next week. Go Hawks!